of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Piharioth, between Megal and the sea over against Belzephon. Remember, it says in Psalm 77, verse 19 and 20, You made a way through the sea and passed through the deep waters, but your footprints were never seen. You led your people like a flock by using Moses and Aaron. And so these are the heroes that we need today. Just think, the winds blew, the sea split, the waters became great, towering walls. However, the nation of Israel passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. This happened not for our entertainment, but to prove to us in earth-shaking, history-making fashion that even when we are most anxious, most distressed, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Exodus 14 again provides a biblical method, practical living steps to process difficulties by faith in the light of God's almighty presence, providence, promises, and power. And again, this is from a little book, and I just developed a message from it. Again, Moses, you know the story of him, so I won't go through Moses' life. He lived to 120 years old, 40 years. You can split his life out. He was a privileged prince in Egypt. He was a shepherd, and then he was a deliverer, God's deliverer. So let's look at the first two verses. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn in the camp between the two mountains. See how he shot that. Do we repent of those? Do we confess those? Those are just as bad as the major sins. They nailed Jesus to a cross. My sin. And I speak to me. Sometimes our hearts are to be cleansed and fellowship restored. You you think of different examples. Hagar, the the handmaid of uh, Moses, a single mom forced into a desert, Abraham, I met Abraham. Joseph was captured by his brothers. He was stripped, sold into slavery, imprisoned in Egypt. Moses, Egyptian royalty, and thankless affliction with God. He thought he could beat out and save God's people by killing an Egyptian. Anointed by Saul, David was pursued by Israel's troops, King Saul, his father-in-law. Hezekiah, seeking revival, was trapped by the most powerful army on earth. Lord's disciples sailed at his command on the Galilee and only faced a terrible storm. And Jesus slept in the boat. The apostles were horsewitched. And you look at these, all these instances and so many more, and God has orchestrated them. He's there to test their faith, to show them his honor, and to show him his glory. What trial are you going through? And if you stop and think about it, but then we take on like scriptures like Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the call according to God's purpose. And it really comes down to some keys. Those who love God. 
according to his purpose. Every time our faith is tested, we grow. From a mustard seed to a tree, we trust. So we look at these two verses in Exodus, knowing that what we should be realizing is that God means for you to be where you are today. That the Lord went before Moses and the Israelites by day in the pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And we see that back in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21 and 22. And you can see that the Lord was there at all times. We have to understand the Lord is in us. He has given us the comforter for those who believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. Those people are true believers in the Lord. He's in us. If you read your scriptures and you study them, you will find that not only is the Holy Spirit in us, but Jesus Christ is in us. And the Father is in us. Why? They are one. And you'll see scripture point to that over and again. The Lord took responsibility of leading his people into peril. God gave Israel step-by-step instructions leading Israel into the apparent ruin. Can you imagine? This is why they complained. God will do this to us on certain occasions. So as not only to test our faith, but to build our faith. Here we must study scripture. For guidance. Here we must realize that our Lord either placed us or allowed us to be where we are today. He was the author of Christian books. He was in a very terrible situation, and this is what he wrote in his log. First, he brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, He will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. That's quite a statement. So even our Lord Jesus Christ became the ultimate example of practical step number one. In John chapter 18 and verse 11, you remember this scene. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. They came to take him away. Peter takes out a sword and knocks Malthus' ear off from his head. And Jesus, of course, heals it. You go to Luke and you will find that. And probably Malchus had the better hearing he ever had. But in John eighteen eleven it said, Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And you see, he was in a terrible situation. Peril orchestrated. Purpose plan of God, to show his promises, to show his power, to show his beauty. So we must realize that God means for us to be where we are today. Things above, not things of this earth. See him follow through. Second step is in verses 3 and 4. 
where it says, And Pharaoh will say unto the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land of the wilderness, has shut them in. Exodus 14.4 And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after me, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his host. And the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. The key to that whole verse is that he would be honored. He would have the glory. When we come to an anxious part of our trials, and we ask questions like this. How did I get into this mess? How can I get out of it? How quickly can I solve the problem? Why did this have to happen to me? Those are some of the questions we say. The above are natural questions, but they focus on us. And usually these type of questions will increase our anxiety. And so what is a better question? Let me suggest this. How can God be glorified in this situation? You see, you turn it around and you give it to God. You invite him in. We'll see that in step four where we pray, inviting God into our situations. But right now, the second step is that we must be more concerned for God's glory than for our own relief. And that you see in verses three and four. If we looked at that type of question, how would you be glorified, God? You would see that that would change our perspective entirely. Our focus would be on God, bringing our Lord to our cause for his glory in all situations of life. God deliberately, again, orchestrated Exodus 14 events to demonstrate his presence, to demonstrate his Providence is to demonstrate his promises over both his enemies and the elements and to demonstrate his power. For I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Matter of fact, if you read the scriptures and you look at Psalms and all the songs in Psalms, you will see. See that one of the themes all through this is the Red Sea incident. In Psalm 136, verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. To him, in verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 13 says, to him which divided the Red Sea into two parts, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 15, for but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. J. Hudson Taylor, a missionary. For many years he was a missionary, and he wrote this. It was his quote. I know he tries me only to increase my faith, and that is all in love. Well, if he is glorified, I am content. That was J. Hudson Taylor. Remember in John chapter 9, there was a blind man. And the disciples asked him, actually said, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath the man sinned nor his parents, 
but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. When you go through trials and tribulations, do people see Christ in you? Or do they see you in all your weakness and frailty? Strength and power and promises all come from God. He will strengthen us. He is never late and he's never early. He's always on time because it's his time. Regarding the Red Sea being parted, this shows us that God gains glory when his enemies are defeated, when his children are delivered, his name is exalted. He receives glory when his exploits are remembered. He receives glory when his praises are sounded. So we see that we have to be more concerned for God's glory than for our own relief. Jesus Christ, again, perfect example. If you look at the upper room ministry, John 13 through 17, you will find that the first two chapters, they're sitting around a table talking about things, giving them the cram session because he's leaving. He's going to the cross of Calvary. Then in verses 15, he gets up and they're walking. They're walking and then you will see more teaching and comfort from anxiety comes in that, those verses that shows the comfort are coming. And then in John chapter 17, he says the prayer, Father, Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. And you see, Jesus Christ is more concerned of what is going to happen and that the Father be honored. He's different than us, but also if you went all the way back to John chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus said, I always do those things that please God, the Father. And so we, in step two, should be more concerned for God's glory than our own relief. Then you go to the next, the step three, and you'll see five through nine. And now, I'm not going to read all that again, because that just takes time, and I want to get through this. And so you'll see that Pharaoh takes 600 chosen chariots, the army, and they're racing down to him. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation, ever been alone at night, and you're by yourself, and just seems like there was something oppressive, something evil, felt, a physical force of somehow descending on you or near you, terrified in your mind, you cried out, Lord, help me. Then there seems to be a calm I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I haven't experienced it recently, but I've had it in the past. You see, the devil or demons sometimes attack this way. Paul warned us about the wiles of the devil in Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You put every piece on by prayer. Pharaoh of Exodus was evil this way. His slaves were gone. Construction stopped. Hammers were quiet. No scraping of the rocks. The snap of the whip no longer could be heard. Pharaoh's army pursued Israel. Not to bring him back to slaves, but to kill him. Again, they were 
caught up with Israel by the Red Sea. You remember where they are, between two mountains, the Red Sea. Well, if you ever stop and think about Satan, not that I want to spend a lot of time with him, but he is a serpent trying to deceive God's people in Genesis chapter 3. In Matthew 13, he's a bird trying to despoil God's harvest. In John chapter 10, he's a wolf attacking God's flock. In 1 Peter 5, he's a lion trying to devour God's children. In Revelation 10, he's a dragon waiting to d- destroy God's son. Can't happen. Satan does not surrender his prey without a fight. He will pursue, pursue you with the intensity of Pharaoh. Satan's and demons use such things as persecution, discouragement, that's one of his greatest weapons. Hypocrisy, apathy, temptations, troubles, and trials. He will inflict suffering pain, worry, anguish, and illness. So what's the lesson? We are to acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Acknowledge your enemy. He's out there. We're in a war. But keep your eyes on the Lord. He is your power. He is your strength. He is your savior. He is your protector. He is your guider. He will lead you in the right path and protect you in the process. How can I resist him? You put scripture in your heart. Not your head. Your heart. You put the scripture in your heart. Your heart feeds your head. Did I say it right? Heart. My son would say, what's a heart? You see, Paul encountered encountered troublemakers in the church. He He discovered the hand of Satan was behind it in Romans 16. When Paul became ill, he referred to illness as the messenger of Satan to buffet him, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. When Paul exercised church discipline, he was turning one over to Satan, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. When married couples had poor sexual relations, temptations towards immorality, Paul blamed Satan, 1 Corinthians 7. Or unforgiveness attitudes, Paul saw Satan's hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 5. Boy, he is very into bitterness and forgiveness. Saints, we need to make sure we forgive one another. What was one of the seven things that Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And Christians are the toughest to forgive because we are to know better. But, beloved, forgive one another. Where is our fight? It's in Ephesians 6 and 12 against the wiles of the devil. How do we, or how should we respond? 1 Peter 5 9, resist him, that Satan, resist him, steadfast in faith. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you, and the devil will flee. That's in James chapter 4. We will always fall into error or sin. We will always fall into error or sin if we acknowledge the Lord and keep our eyes on Satan. That's reversed. Say that again. 
We will always fall in error or sin if we acknowledge the Lord but keep our eyes on Satan. It is far better that we acknowledge Satan but keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes steady on the Lord. In the Pauline epistles, Jesus occurs 219 times. The Lord occurs 272 times, King James, by the way. Christ is referred to 389 times. That totals, I'm an accountant, that totals 880 times. Satan is mentioned 10 times. Devil is mentioned 6. So it's 880 to 16. Where should you keep your eyes? Step three, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember Jesus knew his enemy. But he kept his eyes on the Father. In Luke 22 and verse 33, And when they were come to this place, which is called Calvary, they were crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right, and the one on the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His eyes were on the Father. Listen for us. He is our hero, and we should maintain that. Then we pick up Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. I'll read that because it's only one verse. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted, lift up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were so afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Beloved, crying out to the Lord is prayer. Crying out to the Lord is prayer. So, Step number four is pray. Not a hard one. But the situation, every situation, every trial we go through, we have two options. First option is we can panic or we can pray. If you panic, you're acknowledging the Lord and your eyes are on Satan. If you pray, you're acknowledging Satan and your eyes are on the Lord. It's kind of neat if we follow these lessons. I'm not referring to grace at meals, by the way, or everyday prayers, quiet time prayers, for all prayers are important. Rather, I'm referring to those urgent or life-shattering prayers, urgent supplications. Keep your eyes on God. Praying, talking to God will often keep a person even-tempered, cool-headed, spiritually settled and dealing with troubles. One of the things you can pray, by the way, is pray scripture. Because now you're, you're touching it, you're thinking it, you're seeing it, and you're hearing it and saying it. You're using a lot of your senses. And this, matter of fact, when I go through a very bad time, one of the things I have to do is go into my study and open up the scriptures and then pray the scriptures. And it calms me down. It will calm you down because it gets your focus on him and not on yourself. David wrote in 2 Samuel 27, 22 and verse 7, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. I, you know, I love those type of scriptures because he knew that God heard him. Do you know that God hears you? Are you aware of that? That when you pray, when you give your time to God, He is there 
listening, waiting to show you his promises, to show you his providence, to show you his power. He's there waiting for you. Invite him into your trials. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Praying always with all prayer, supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So not only for yourself, but we are to pray for one another. We know that people are going through trials. And we are to pray and help them. And when two or more are gathered together, he is there in the midst. What a prayer. You remember what he did with, with Peter? He said in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 and 32, he says, Peter, Satan wishes to sift you. But I pray for you. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Jesus prays for us. Do we pray to him? And so, step number four is praying. Step number five is probably going to be one of the hardest ones. Step number five is in verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And this is what's so hard. Stand still. Be still and know that I'm God. Yeah, but God, I'm going through all these trials. I'm going through all this sickness. I'm going through all this pain. I'm going through all this. And God says, quiet. Be still and know that I am God. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. So keep your eyes on God. He may have orchestrated. But one thing we know, he allowed it. And because he allowed it, he's going to build our faith. If you keep your eyes on the Lord. So stay calm and confident and give. This is the hard part. Give God time to work. What do we do? Let's help God. I'm going to help you, God. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I find I'm getting deeper and deeper in trouble. And then you have to go back and say, oops, sorry, God. Take over. Repent. Confess. You've gotten his way. We cannot solve every problem. We cannot cure every hurt. We cannot avoid every fear. What we can do is leave room and time for God to work. We cannot answer every dilemma or do the impossible, but we can let God work. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us. The Lord, the Lord delights in the impossible. He delights having the honor and having the glory. Having the praise. Having the exaltation. And he is all worthy of all those words. Moses said to Israel, fear not. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. All of us will encounter the Red Sea challenge in our life. We will encounter something somewhere along in life. How should we respond? Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Just continue. 
verses 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. We delight in the Lord. We delight what he delights to please him. It says in verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Two times it said to trust him. Do we trust him? Do we really believe scripture? Do we see his promises? Why does he give us so many promises? So that we can walk through this valley of shadow of death. To give him honor. To give him glory. To give him praise. To exalt him in all that we do. They should see Christ in us. Terrence Wilson. I don't know if anybody knows him. Met him once. He's such a, he was such a humble man. Pierinus Wilson came home from Angola. He was in a little, staying at somebody's house, and the little girl, five-year-old girl, gave up her room, and he had the long trip, and he's laying in the bed. The little girl says, Mom, Dad, after she came home from school, can I go see Pierinus Wilson? No, he's sleeping. I'll just peek. Let me just peek. And so they said, okay, go peek. And so she goes down to the room, opens the crack of the door, and sees him, closes the door quick, and runs back and says, I've just seen Christ. I've just seen Christ. If you've seen Tianus Wilson, he does not look like any of those pictures of Jesus Christ. The Christ in him. Because he, she heard stories about him. Of how Angola was his mission field. That God put him there. His troubles, his trials, his, his praises. That he received. His blessings that he received. He was a mission. It says in Psalm 46 and 10. Be still and know that I am God. But then it goes on. Now everybody stops there. I will be exalted among the brethren. I will be exalted. I'll be exalted in the earth. Jesus Christ. The light of doing the impossible. What causes us to panic is simply our emotions. Strong feelings often driven by compelling circumstances. Everything worsens by giving our emotions free reign. Maturity can be described as our ability to keep our passions or emotions under control. You want to be mature in Christ? Keep your emotions under control. Ash.